mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society can sometimes make us feel ashamed of. My name is Caroline and I'm hanging off the side of a building in 2003. Joining me is America's favourite goth Christian vampire... Jessica Moore. Oh, I enjoyed that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I was so excited when I got your suggestion through from your publicist about doing Evanescence. And I was like, how have I done 123 episodes of this fucking podcast and never covered Evanescence? I just thought of like, well, what is the sentimental garbage episode that if it dropped, I would cancel everything I was doing <laughs> <laughs> and listen to it and it would be fallen. So... I'm so thrilled. And it's very um, fortuitous timing because it's 20 years old this year, 2003. How do we feel about that? I don't feel great about it. <laughs> I just, I'm still like, it's like, for me, complicated because I'm in, a, in a big way, uh, I am making my sort of bread and butter and like my easy money off of sitting in this podcast booth week after week and being like, hey guys, remember 2004? Sure. <laughs> so like, like having a rear view mirror look of 20 year old pop culture has been very profitable for me personally. However, for me existentially. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it is sobering. I, I, I don't even know what to, to do with the fact that it's, it's 20 years old. And but we're so young. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we're so young. And we're just like the big sisters of like the girls who had all the feelings in 2003. Um, and I'm just not prepared for the fact that I am now like old enough to be that girl's mother. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me how this band came into your life. Oh, man. Um, it was re- it's really interesting. Just like... When we decided to do the this record the show, I was like so excited, and then I was like, I feel so like vulnerable because it, oh, I was yes. like, it, I felt it was so like personal, and I felt like exactly like ashamed of it. So like digging back into like exactly what what happened, and the reason I I bring that up is because I think that the way I found out about them, it might have been through fan fiction. Like it might oh have been through my like God. writing teenage, and of course, the kind of people who write, write wrote fan fiction as teenagers were also really into Evanescence. So I think I just heard, not even heard about them, like read about them. Yeah, and then I saw the album in a shop window, and I was like, "That's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen." <laughs> and I I got it for my thirteenth birthday. Oh, yeah, oh. and I remember putting it in the CD. I can remember like the layer of dust on my CD player and like the quality of light in the room as I heard like the opening bars. Like it it made such an impact on me. And like revisiting it, I was like, I'm probably going to be sort of viewing this through a layer of like irony and Mm -hmm. sort of deconstruction. Mm -hmm. And actually, like as soon as I put the record on again, I was just, I was back. You're right there. 
and like oh that's so fun. so wait if you would for, first I want to go back to that fan fiction thing for just a second okay because um, it's so interesting to, to like read about a band in a fictional context yeah. not even like because you were like trolling pitchfork.com or rolling stone you <laughs> I were wish like, I'd been cool enough to troll pitchfork <laughs> bitch was on Wattpad like um, but I I remember early internet there was this famous piece of fan fiction that did the rounds oh are you talking about my immortal Yes, and it was called My Immortal, and I had never like in the week I've been doing research for of this band and reading all these interviews at that specific memory, and it was like it had this endless life on the internet to the point where there were, um, it's kind of more relevant to me now because it's like um, a lot of rumors that that author then went on to be Cassie Clare, who was like who was like a huge YA author. It's like an urban legend that the My Immortal Woman went on to be Cassie Clare. I love the idea of like My Immortal Truthers. <laughs> there are they are out there, um, but it was circulated again and again. It never died of like the perfect example of the just the most hilarious and sincerely felt um, fan fiction written by what was very clearly. A young, young woman with too many feelings yeah. to keep in. And just so every 15 seconds, it was, she was a vampire and she was a witch and she was at Hogwarts. And, I, <laughs> and every 15 seconds, she would be fucking Draco Malfoy. <laughs> and wasn't there like, I don't, I, I didn't, I never read it, but I think I've read like the law around, I've read the literature surrounding you, the discourse, if you, you will. <laughs> And doesn't he like, isn't there like a sex scene with the giant squid or so, like something? Possibly. There was definitely a period of my life pre this podcast where, um, you know, me and some friends would like be at the pub and we would do dramatic readings to each other of My Immortal. And, you know, and it kind of ticking off all the kind of things that fan fiction is known for, um, the kind of Mary Sueism of yeah. like uh, inserting just what is a clear thing for you of yourself. Yeah. Um, but now uh, it never sort of occurred to me and it was called My Immortal it was called My Immortal and like yeah a lot of the because there would be this thing of called that was like song fix where you'd put the lyrics of a song like interspersed with you know your you know tenuously named story Uh it was just it was just feelings Um, and they would be taken down immediately because of copyright but there were a lot of people putting up like Evanescence lyrics interspersed with their own writing or obviously the most famous example being My Immortal but like lyrics as the title of their fan fiction or whatever and so I think I just knew of them yeah, and I just you know and and it wasn't like I was particularly intrigued because it was just that my dad had this thing of like I'm going to always get you an album for your birthday because he just really wanted us to be into like any music. He didn't yeah. really care if it was That's so like, important. good. And to not be like a, like a, a Beatles dad. Yeah. Like, you have to like Revolver. It's like, no, I want you to like any music. And then eventually, like my music taste is almost identical to my dad's. But like he helped oh, me to kind of get... <laughs> yeah. He helped me to kind of bridge that moment. So he got me um, Fallen because he just said, well, what album do you want for your birthday? And I was like, um, Evanescence? And um, he kind of got it for me and he was like, he just called it the pretty goth one. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, is fair. I think a lot of dads thought that. Yeah. And they were not wrong. And um, yeah, so my 13th birthday. So it hit me at exactly, exactly the moment. And so would this have been like how tuned, how much of a music channels kid were you? 
Not at all. Okay, so did you ha- even have those channels? I didn't even know they were big. Okay, wow. Like, because I'm going back and I was thinking this is something that felt so personal to me and I felt so weird for liking it. And I look back and I'm like, this is the sixth biggest selling album of the 21st century. They sold 17 million records. 17 million 17 records. Mi- yeah, and nobody sells that now. Yeah, no, it's impossible. But they're up to, it's like Adele, Ed Sheeran, yeah. Evanescence. Like that is amazing because because to me as well that like it's so funny to me that like you didn't know you didn't even know that they were big no. or whatever because I think that is so something very true about that of like I remember the um the soundtrack journey of that period yeah and like because this was because um, bring me to life was uh you know the big break that it had the reason that it got on the airwaves was that it was on the Daredevil soundtrack and became the sort of breakout hit. I'll get back. I really want to like deconstruct Bring Me to Life in oh, a we'll, minute. We'll get into <laughs> well, yeah, like a solid 15 minutes on that. Um but um you know there there was like I remember I owned I owned the Spider-Man 2 soundtrack not because mm-hmm. I love Spider-Man 2 but because there was like all these bands that I could not afford to buy the albums yeah. of or you know what I mean like, and it was yeah. like the big song that yeah. would be cinematic and epic and like and also slightly goth yeah. or something because you know those superhero movies it was kind of an emerging art form I guess yeah. and it, like that no one had really done the, the kind of technology hadn't been there to make superhero films before and obviously now the technology is too there yeah, <laughs> yeah and it would have been like a certain type dare I say of like kind of nerdy person who also liked you know quite epic big things a lot of the time yes so Um, it was like Nickelback and Dashboard Confessional and like Yellow Card and like these sort of American bands that probably would have been playing on American rock stations but you and I would not have had access to at all and also like and the OC and all the One Tree Hill that was like a big soundtrack moment as well but you would think that like you would find these bands through soundtracks yeah. and then you'd be like, oh, this is my personal thing just for me. Not realizing No one that- else noticed this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they were on huge soundtracks. Yes, with like multi, you know, movies with many, many millions of dollars behind them and huge amounts of promotion. Yeah, yeah, huge. But like, so with, with Bring Me to Life, like, as I say, like for me, that was something I discovered through... Um, you know, coming home from school, the routine was always like, make yourself a little snack yeah. and then go through the music snack? channels. Oh, the snack was... Paint the, paint the picture for me, Caroline. <laughs> the snack was either a Rustler's rib sandwich. Mm. Delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, still a great snack. Every <laughs> now and delicious then. Delicious and nutritious. Like, you can't <laughs> yeah. argue with it. Just like, just newspaper and 3% pork and maybe some <laughs> cigarette ash <laughs> compressed into a shape um, with barbecue sauce. And, uh, or... A turkey turkey bacon sandwich. <laughs> Fantastic. Great, Go on. Great. St- Thank you for asking about the snack. <laughs> I appreciate it. Make yourself a little snack um, and then just flip through the music channels while your tights slowly pickled around your feet until about <laughs> 6 or 7 p.m. and you were yeah. forced to change out of your school Maybe uniform. work on a ladder for a little bit. <laughs> just pick out a ladder for a little bit. Going through, going through, going through, going through, and like, um, there was like going through those channels. Did, so, did you have those channels? No. Okay, so I, I won't FOMO you too much because, but it was awesome. <laughs> like, I, I only like started seeing music channels when I like, like joined a gym. Wow, like, which was you know late teens. I did. Okay, you, I didn't. Wow, you really yeah. missed something. <laughs> I know. Well, then, as, as we've just been saying, um, before we recorded, you grew up in London, so maybe life was just a music channel. But yeah, crucially, what you need to know is I'm very oblivious. Okay. So I just don't pick up on 
huge cultural yeah. moments until a while after they've happened. <laughs> Although you were you were bang on time with Evanescence, so I think I was about a year late actually. But yeah. we'll 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 go. We'll you know carry on with um, the MTV thing because that's yeah. more relevant. <laughs> no, but you, there would there would be about twenty to thirty channels, and yeah. they would always be growing and growing, and growing. And it was like, um, I, I think just as, as a time in music. As I think personifies all of the noughties, it was a time of throwing a lot of shit at the walls, mm. kind of thing. And it was there was a lot of space in music because CDs were still selling so much. Yeah, and um, you know, yeah, streaming had kind of existed, but it was kind of this place of like what I would kind of call the golden age of streaming, where mm. internet was not fast enough for you to be like downloading enormous albums and like ripping off artists. It was like just big enough that you could download a few songs and then, and then you made do. And then you either made do or you found the CD yeah. and you and that's how people discovered like American bands they wouldn't have discovered otherwise like Bright Eyes or Dresden yeah. Dolls or indeed Evanescence. Um, but these music channels would be they'd be like you know your Kerrang or Scum which would be the metal and the rock ones and then there'd be MTV Bass and MTV2 and they'd all different things and you would um, that to see that video, which is so famous and so iconic, of you know Amy Lee sort of scaling that building, that apartment <laughs> building that feels so sort of CGI and unreal, but um, also very superhero movie. Like yes, when, yes. when you have the pan into her window through like a sort of cityscape, and you can hear the sirens in the background. You're like, this is like Gotham. Or, yes, yes. You know, it's slightly um, heightened, like the whole cityscape. And yes, and before our eyes were exhausted by yeah. that, which they now are. <laughs> like, yeah, of course, it was back when that sort of like, you know, we we just in the new millennium kind of yeah. thing. It was like that sort of futuristic, dark, moody kind of neo noir thing. Neon signs, rain. Wow, what's yeah. this? <laughs> rain, and like her in this, she was so, and she is, but she was so beautiful to me. Yeah, can we talk about that? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. like I just thought she was the most beautiful woman and she was also she looked like a woman yeah yeah you know? she because this was also like you know size zero era mm-hmm. and like she you know she was very conventionally attractive but she didn't like look like she wasn't wearing like low riding denim jeans yeah, and like yeah. a little camisole she she was like sort of victorian looking and yeah you know victorian, she had presence yes. yeah she had such presence and like having watched some interviews with her in preparation for this is just so I think because I had packaged away Evanescence in my brain yeah me too I had sort I and I'd heard rumours about them about like how they were a sort of a constructed thing mm. by a label how they were like this sort of you know covert Christian rock thing and like none of that is true no like that band formed when Amy Lee and Ben Moody were like 14 years yeah. old and met at a Christian summer camp. I know. I know, which I find so sweet. And then apparently the way they tell the story is like um, he went into a practice room and she was playing Bad Out of Hell on the piano. Yeah. I find that so beautiful. And also I was like, yeah, of course Evanescence is more in conversation with Meatloaf than it is yeah. with like Slipknot, you know? Yeah, of course it is. They just, they kind of inherited some conventions of an era. Some of which like were put on them by the record mm. label like the man on bring me you know the male vocalist on bring me yes to life, yes which yes. was just like you know this works for linkin park let's do it yeah um but i thought what you said about like throwing stuff about the wall at the wall and seeing what sticks is so interesting because they didn't 
it was pre the era of like big data and kind of being able to really like hone yeah. in on like what's working and like what's getting plays. They could just kind of, I, I guess, more like vaguely see, you know, some big things working. It probably meant that people were allowed to kind of take a few more risks in terms of kind of things. Although they, they weren't allowed to take a lot of risks because yeah. they were kind of really strong-armed into presenting their first album in a certain way. So, yeah, let's let's talk about that a little bit more. I feel like an Evanescence historian because all, <laughs> all this, like, information that has lain dormant at the back of my brain for 16 years... As soon as I started like listening to the album yeah. again, I was like, "Oh, it all, it's just all there. Kind of, it all comes back." Yeah, because they were they were forced to put the the man's vocals on to bring me to life. Yes, and they were basically told, "We're gonna we're gonna drop you if if you don't," because they really fought it. They didn't want it. It's fascinating, isn't it? So it's like they th- these two Christian teenagers, like yeah. <laughs> from Arkansas, from Arkansas, from Little Rock. Two little gods from Little Rock. Um, the, they form this band and like art, you know, even though they're very early teens, they kind of have an identity and a, and a point of view so early on of like what they're trying to do. And they talk about like putting on shows and stuff and how they would just hire other musicians mm. as needed because they had this vision of like bigness and, yeah. and orchestra and like just dr- drowned sound, you know, and um then they get picked up by this label. The label says they want to have a male co-vocalist. Yeah. And they start auditioning people. And then Amy and Ben are like, no. And they move, they like, they've been moved to LA by the label. They've gone through the whole thing. I'm like, no, we're not doing it. And they move back to Arkansas. And I mean, you think, God, they were so young. It's really cool that they had the strength to do that. But that's also like the stroppiness of being a teenager. Because if they'd been maybe like five years older. If they had been like 24. Yeah, they'd have been like, well, you know, maybe this is the only chance we're going to get. and We should compromise. But because they were babies. Oh my God, that's fabulous. I I hadn't even thought of that. Because if you're like, if you form a band when you're 14 and like pretty quickly people just kind of dig it yeah. and then you have like an artistic thing with your friend and you, you'll be probably you, you're 14 you've got fuck all else to do all you do is talk about your vision and your art <laughs> you know what I mean write your, right, your manifesto and your manifesto and here's what our here's what our name will be and here's what our band teacher will be whatever and then like if at every step after that you're basically positively reinforced that like yeah you're, you're probably a genius and your voice is amazing <laughs> kind of thing and then like you know, you've not really had any knockbacks. Of course you have, like, the st- the childlike strength yeah. <laughs> to be like, no, I'm go- I'm- I will be moving back to Arkansas where my friends are, so I don't mind. Yeah, and it was probably quite nice for them in Arkansas because people knew them yeah. and they could play gigs, whereas I guess in LA, from what I can work out, they were just, like, put in a house and yeah. they were just recording stuff and someone was coming around and saying, no, this isn't good enough, so maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't... I mean, how could they have known how big they were going to be? Yeah. So maybe they didn't feel like they had that much to lose. But then, like, this this male vocalist that they get in, who's called Paul, Paul McCoy, McCoy yeah. who was, you know, just shopped in from another band that was on that, that label. Yeah. And, um, which is just... It's so fascinating because they, they are trying to do this, like, Linkin Park thing, this and this, like, this new metal thing mm. that was, like... And it's so weird explaining new metal now to people because, like, it was kind of rap and it was kind of metal. <laughs> I'm still not totally clear on what it was. Because like, it was so other brief. Other Linkin Park. <laughs> what was it? Tell me. It was rap and it was metal. Yeah. I think is what it was. And it was yeah. very white. <laughs> it was. It's like, how yes. can we take... How can we take the whiter genre yeah. and make it... A yeah. little bit whiter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and 
very aggressive and very, like I just think of Fred Durst and Kid Rock and yeah. all you know so 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 male. Yeah. Um. Uh, but I I don't want to shit on it either because no. like I know that they were just like I know that my boyfriend just absolutely got his life to that stuff you yeah. know and I'm not gonna there were many big feelings expressed. exactly but I think all of it is sort of uh, it's bigness right it's hugeness that's yeah. what all of this is getting to um, but when you see in the staging of that video which is again so iconic you have like the way it's framed it's like Paul McCoy is the one singing with the band mm-hmm. he's the one who's jamming and she's the one who's like framed as being the outside one yeah Right, like so. If you didn't, it's like know, it's his band. If you didn't know, you'd think she was the guest vocalist, yeah. right? Yeah. Like it is like it's his band, and then it's like, I don't know. But then it's kind of beautiful because you're like the whole journey of the thing is that they didn't think a female vocalist could front a heavy rock band, and they said that very explicitly to them. Yeah, like no piano, no chicks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I don't know if they'd say the quiet part out loud in that way now but no exactly I think it would be much more inferred now whereas then then it was much more clear and but again again like maybe that gives you like the bloody mindedness of youth you're like well you say I can't do this so I'm going to do it whereas if it had been more like coded then it would have you know then maybe that like sort of fuck you attitude just couldn't have come through yes because like there really were no because here's the thing it's really easy when you're telling these stories about pop culture to talk about like the label and the man and the system and the industry as if the label, the man, the system and the industry is not just a, a collection of people making choices about their job yeah. and who do care about music and, and probably saw this band like they are absolutely amazing. She's amazing. They make great songs together. These are huge tracks. Can't believe how young they are. Can't believe how pretty she is. This is amazing. Um, but also being like looking at the rock stations and being like, it's Linkin Park. It's system. Mm. It's System of a Down. It's Corn, and being like, they're not gonna play her. No, you know. So I, I think it's almost more useful to come from a point of view of like they probably loved it so much they thought they were saving something. Yeah, that there was wasn't a place for. But actually, it's like if you're if you're strong willed enough with something, you can make a place for it. But it's really hard to convince people who are just trying to protect their jobs of that. You and know? I think there was like one executive at Wind Up. You probably watched the same documentary on YouTube that I did. I didn't watch the documentary. Ah, there was a documentary which had Amy's dad on it, actually, which was quite interesting because he was a DJ. And so he kind of, I think, was giving her quite savvy advice about the music industry and like how to position herself from quite a young age. And she was just like, no, no, I'm an artist. Um, So cool. I know. It is cool, isn't it? Um, But I forgot where I'm going now documentary on youtube yeah so um there was this one i can't remember his name but there was a executive at wind up who found kind of found the recorded that got the demo or something went to the concert and like was the advocate and poured some you know enough money in them into them for to make make demos for like a couple of years Mm. and i think it was he played he went into the you know the, the room with the big men and played them bring me to life am I immortal Mm. and that was you know what convinced them and then they were just trying to put together something that was strong enough and there there was the vehicle of the daredevil soundtrack but it was also I think because they had a lecturer Jennifer Garner yes yes yes, so it was a a woman 
in the Mar- is it Marvel? I don't know. The, the, <sighs> yeah, you know the superheroes. Yeah, yeah, the, it was, uh, yeah. yeah Daredevil, like, yes, yeah. There was a lady superhero, so mm-hmm. they could kind of justify having a woman's vocals. Yes, because it, it was supposed scene. to be like a conversation between Daredevil and Elektra, uh, kind of thing. That was how it was like while it was scoring. Yeah, which like wow, <laughs> like what a weird, <laughs> what weird luck. Like it must be so weird to be Amy Lee and be like I. <laughs> I am a incre- still incredibly famous, tours all the time, makes albums, probably a millionaire, probably got a great house, probably got a couple of great houses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she's like, because in 2002, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner made a superhero film that failed. <laughs> yeah, it's it's unbelievable to think about, isn't it? It's so strange. And like, let's, but what we haven't spoken about, because maybe I think it's difficult to is the music itself. Yeah. Um, I just think that, like, the the bigness of it yeah. is so important. <laughs> the bigness of it was what... Because, like I say, I remember the first time I heard it and feeling like, oh, this is something different. And what I'd liked before had been, like, Avril Lavigne. Loved your mm-hmm. episode on Avril Lavigne, by the way. Oh, me too. Um, <laughs> but I had enjoyed that but I felt that it was there was something kind of bratty mm-hmm. and ch- a bit childish yes because you know 12 13 you're kind of you're what you're longing to kind of make the jump into something that feels more serious yeah and um it just felt big and not the bubblegum version of something which so mm. much stuff that is directed towards sort of 11 12 13 year olds is like this you know the the version of being a teenager that you know a big corporation has pushed on you rather mm. than the version that you feel inside mm. and mm. The, yeah like the hugeness was what hit me and it was almost like what it reminded me most of was like really good hymns like <laughs> <laughs> yes do you know what i really mean really good hymns like you know how so, some like, hymns go off you know so there are some bangers a destiny dailies go off um you know but just like the hugeness of like music you know mm-hmm. music and you don't get that from like your avril levines no you get something that is like inherent you know just inherently like that little bit more i mean i suppose you you started to with like my happy ending and things like that mm-hmm. when she went a bit more rocky but this just went straight in with this like massive operatic feeling yeah. and that was what I was just longing for like as a teenager you just want this huge canvas to feel your feelings on it's canvas is such a great way of putting it of like if you really look at the it's funny how the lyrics became um sort of epigraphs for fan fiction like yeah. gothic fan fiction because they are like um they're not much. Do you know what they're, I mean? not, they're really not. They're really. There's not. It's not. There are no story songs. Really. No. There's no clever turns of phrase. It's. It's the the word words are vehicles for her voice. Yeah, and the vocabulary is very limited. There's yeah. a lot of falling, a lot of drowning, <laughs> yeah. a lot of sleeping. Yeah, quite passive verbs going on there. But yeah, yeah. It, it, as you say, it's a vehicle for her voice. If it hadn't been that that voice, you know, the instrumentals are nothing special. Yeah, like, it it's it is her, it's her voice and her presence and the feeling that she put behind some of these like moderately asinine lyrics. Oh yeah, they are. Ju- it is a word salad of just like goth phrases yeah. and and sort of like, but they're designed to make you feel like like an image. And I yeah. think when you're when you're fourteen or thirteen and like 
everything is so boring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so boring. All you want to do is be like walking barefoot through a graveyard wearing a white dress that clings to you or like um, under a bath. Yeah, <laughs> with your eyes open. With your eyes open. Or like you just want like... You want your life to feel like a movie and to feel soundtracked yeah. and it sucks. <laughs> like now, as grown-up women, we can sometimes, several times a year, grasp moments that feel a little bit like a movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like and you have the you also know that you have the option to go like go to the cemetery if you want. Yeah, to. Exactly. <laughs> and not like the crappy cemetery near your house. You can go to the good cemetery. You can go to Highgate Cemetery. Yeah. yeah. And like you can make a day of it. Yeah. You, you can have a little photo shoot with your friends. You can if like you really want to stand on a cliff, you can. You can, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or yeah, you can go to like a weird city and feel a little lost and <laughs> and know that no one knows your name. But when you are so trapped in the sort of you know, the trappings of suburban life or wherever yeah. it is you grew up, whether it's countryside, a city, or whatever, when literally your whole life is just going, you go to school, you come back from school, yeah. you make your little turkey sandwich snack, you pick at the ladder in your tights, and on Saturdays you walk around a shopping centre for six hours. Yeah. And But, like, simultaneously, we have this, like, hormonal riot <laughs> happening <laughs> where you're feeling the biggest feelings for the first time. Yeah, and your your day to day life is just is so dull. And then you hear like "Bring Me to Life," which is obviously you know about depression to some yeah. extent, or I think about you know feeling you know abused and and yeah. just being a teenager, it, you kind of want bringing to life, and so you're like, oh well, maybe I'm depressed, and it's like. No, you're just you just have to go to school and do things that yeah. you don't want to do. Um, but yeah, and then you're also like imposing that on. Yeah, I went to a girls' school, but Same. Uh, but and then you just like, you see. It. <laughs> oh man! But then you like, you see a boy, and he you're like, oh maybe you'll bring me to life, and it's like yeah, he won't. Yeah, that's it. You're just like he won't, <laughs> and like yeah, it's that that to, to like. Again, to, I, I keep placing myself. I know this isn't relatable to you. Cru- like the cruising through the music channel is like every woman you see is like, you know, I love Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera yeah. and all these people and like, but they are delivering a certain kind of thing to you, and it's all about, you know, love and romance yeah. to an extent. But then just to like have this girl who like is beautiful but also looks like someone that you've seen before yeah. in a way. She looks like the most beautiful girl who hangs out like near the skate park in your yeah, town, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so she feels like both familiar and sort of undead at the same time. And she's screaming, wake me up inside and bring me... And you're like, yeah, all I want is my life to feel the way this is. Yeah. And it also, like, I mean, the, you know, I know we said the, the instrumentals are nothing remarkable, but actually, like, the, in, the intro to that song, it mm. sounds like... A Disney film where you know, like it sounds like in Beauty and the Beast, where they're going down that dark road, yes, and then opens out into the castle. Like it sounds so cinematic, yeah, and it just it sounds like a narrative of your life is taking over, rather than just like the sludge of just being like a perfectly fine, privileged, okay teenager. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, literally. But it's never going to feel that way. No. Like I'm always amazed that people successfully teach children about privilege because like, I just can imagine being 14 and being like, my life sucks. <laughs> I, I just didn't care for being a... And I, I, I totally stand by my feelings of not caring for being a teenager because it's like you have very little autonomy. 
Yeah. I like I like being able to control my day-to-day choices and you can't when you're a teenager. So of course you feel trapped. Yeah. It's not an unreasonable feeling. No, no. I'm like, I think about this all the time because I write for this age group of like, I, I don't think I'd be able to write for that age group if I felt like it had been a fun, it had been a good time. No, <laughs> no. Good times certainly happened. And especially when you discover drinking and like parties and stuff, that's, that's always a fun couple of years or whatever. But on, on the whole, my, the main feeling I remember having from those years is dread. Yeah. Just like I was dreading everything all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Dread and, I, and boredom. And what's the opposite of... Like the gothic is the opposite of boredom, right? Like yeah. as a genre. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why it's so so appealing. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was teaching a class on the gothic last year, which was oh, really cool. fun. Um, but yeah, all my students absolutely loved it because they were still like at the tail end of like covid and like living in their parents house and they were like yeah castles like gnarly relationships and and bad stuff like this is something to get my teeth into it's so true and that i guess that like that takes us to sort of um the sort of wider thing at the time, which is the kind of the emergence of mall goth mm. as a thing, which I don't, I mean, you, you grew up in London, so you had yeah, access London. to Camden. I did have access to so Camden. So what was that, what was like when mall goth came to Camden? I mean, like, I don't want to overstate the amount of time that I spent in Camden, but we would like, we would, me and my, my little group of pals would occasionally, you know, get the train and go to Camden. And like, obviously, you know, in the same way that you can't afford anything in the actual mall, you couldn't yeah. afford anything in Camden Market. Like maybe, you know, I had one friend whose mum would take her there for her birthday and she'd get like a skirt. Yeah, yeah. Or there'd be like an emo shop where you yes. can get you could get like some ridiculously overpriced tutu that was cut like shit. So overpriced. It would be like a pleather tutu. It would be like, um, at the top would be all like yeah. black and, and leather laced. and laced and belted. And then it would just be like neon pink tulle. But like really, a really shit version of that. But it looked great on Amy Lee. So you're like, yeah, this yeah. could work for me. But yeah, like, I mean, when I think about going to Camden as a teenager, like 14, say, I have that. Do you ever have that feeling of like, I actually can't remember whether this place is a dream or mm-hmm. just a place I went to long ago. Yeah. And like that feeling of like entering the like, underworld of like all these like dark shops and like yeah you and know the smell of like um incense sticks and that kind of thing. incense sticks and weed and just yeah. like I still when I remember it I'm just like did that actually happen but I remember mm. like the feeling of like coming out of like the sort of dark subterranean bit it's, I don't know if that's the bit that burned down but like and into the sunlight and kind of back into into life and like the bus and mm. you know Starbucks or whatever and just being like was that real oh god that's so beautiful I, there's nothing like that in Cork <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like Cork has its sort of gothic credentials in other ways it does actually I don't know if you're saying that to be kind but it really does <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it, what was interesting about Cork specifically is that um there's something inherently very goth about Cork. Like there's like there's uh, quite a lot of metal going on in Cork. Yeah. And there's I think I think about this a lot, and I think you know especially writing the kind of work that I do, it's like it's so much based on my teenage experiences yeah. and 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 what that place looked like. And it was like because it's like near the ocean, and there's sort of nothing between Cork and America. Yeah. Like there's not like it's just ocean. Yeah. <laughs> and um. 
And so there's like this misty, gauzy sort of blue, grey light all the time. So there's a lot of goth happening. There was yeah. like outside a specific shopping centre called Paul Street Shopping Centre where all the like, all the goths and emos would hang out. And then around the corner, all the skaters would hang out. And I just remember that society is meaning everything to me and wanting to impress that society as being everything to me. So did you have your goth outfit? Or your what was your what was your it was so choice, fashion choice. okay it was so expensive it was it was so so but so like a lot of it was just like what I thought of as being like kooky rather than goth kind yeah. of thing so like tights on the hands for sure sure tights yeah. on the hands and like lots of um like long black dresses over mm. things and all that kind of stuff but my one sort of prized thing was that I bought from the goth shop um which was called Moonshine in Cork. Um, so so small but like it was a handbag that was like had a decapitated Barbie doll stuck to it oh that is still quite cool I think <laughs> but it cost me like all my birthday money yeah of course like my my tutu skirt which I did wear to an Evanescence gig cost me tell me money. about the Evanescence oh. gig but first tell me about the outfit sorry <laughs> yeah no I, I've just remembered the existence of this thing uh, and it was like yeah it was like a tutu but it was just so it was so crap and then I think I had a cor- I had a corset because Primark was doing corsets at that point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I had like, this really shit corset where the boning all like obviously went really wavy, and so and it, like, you put it over like out. a t shirt or something. Yeah, or like a, or like a school shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but and, but that because that was what Amy did, and she looked so beautiful. Yeah, she did. But she had good corsets, you know. Um, and yeah, the armlets like that was such a big thing. That was such a big. I don't thing. even remember where I got those from. Oh, we had a shop. It was called Krish. Uh, but I just, I was, I was just like a scruffy version. Of, yeah. Like, I just looked like I was sort of unraveling, but I just wanted to look like Amy. Like I just thought she was so beautiful, and uh, her look also it was it was different. Like she had kind of a look that she it seemed like she had cult because you know you said she's kind of she's like beautiful but in a girl next do- doorway yeah. but what makes and her even stand girl next out door, it's like girl at the mall yeah, yeah. yeah but like what made her stand out was her look yeah like the clothes she wore like the long black hair which she still has and mm-hmm. if you look at pictures of her she looks the same she looks the exact same which i love yeah i love when people style doesn't move on <laughs> i think it's nice the next moment after Bring Me to Life that really made me fall in love with them was the Everybody's Fool. Oh, yeah. I was like, that That to me was my first time. I was like, oh, I'm interpreting the subtextual <laughs> language. There was no <laughs> subtext. It was, all, it was text. all text. It was, yeah. And like she had pretty clearly said, like, I saw that my sister liked Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and I didn't like it. Oh, was that it? Yeah. And she'd... Because it one of the things that I'd just been thinking about so much when thinking about, like, this period was how obsessed we were with the idea of things being fake fake versus authentic. That's so interesting. I just don't know... Like, because I'm kind of tempted to say, like, yeah, like, twas ever thus, like, read the catcher in the right, like, who are the phonies? But... Mm -hmm. I don't know if young people do care so much about things being authentic versus fake now. I've been thinking about this a lot too, about how like there was like always a thing of um, a language of selling out to yeah. the label and who was yeah exactly who was fake, who was constructed. And I remember so many of the women in rock music were accused of being fake. There were so few women who were like given the sort of seal of approval of being authentic, and it was because that they were mysterious. Yeah, I always found like I'm talking Karen O. Mm. Kim Deal, 
um, the lady from the distillers maybe yeah. <laughs> had a push. Like, But like everybody else, anybody who looked for any kind of aesthetic attention was accused of being fake. And obviously they had, like the aesthetic attention was what was given to them as a default. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, and I mean, I, oh, I can't remember what, what I was going to say about being fake. But, oh, yeah. With, with everybody's fool. And like that was kind of her saying, you know, like the Britney Spears and the Christina Aguilera is like they're not they weren't real. And I feel like if she was writing that now. Well, she just you would you wouldn't because it, shitting on other women like that would yeah. not be okay. But we didn't have a language of feminism mm-hmm. to kind of maybe say like no shade to the woman, mm-hmm. but this is what like patriarchy or capitalism is pushing them into doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it became about the person's motivations, and it was also just this like unbelievably mean spirited time where like shitting on women was just like it was just de rigueur it was what you did yeah and, and it was interesting I remember it was like um, I don't know how, where in the timeline this falls the pink that single Stupid Girls yeah um, the maybe if I act like that that kind of thing which was a direct that was beautiful thanks I'm a, a trained singer <laughs> <laughs> Um, and like, you could tell that these were like smart women yeah. who were like, I'm and Pink and Amy Lee, I think I have a lot in common that yeah. like, I'm fighting really hard to show a version of femininity that can be like masculine or gothic or different or like, just, or just even not a part of what I'm doing. Like yeah. I'm fighting just to be like taken for, you know, a musician yeah, <laughs> and, and not just a prop. And then like, they see these women who they see as like, okay, you're being so sexualized. You're so, everything is out there. Like you're trading on your sexuality. You're making a living for it. And then I can see how they were like, you know, probably raised by feminist women themselves mm. being like, this is everything we're fighting against. And I'm worried for you. And I'm worried yeah. for the culture. But then that expressing itself as like, fuck you, you dumb whore. <laughs> like, <laughs> because it was a nasty time. It, it was, it was such a nasty time. And like, when you look back on like the way that, the women in the culture were treated like who are now like all, all in some ways being like either like very actively like rehabilitating them, themselves like Paris Hilton's doing now or just like people like Kira Knightley and Lily Allen just talking out speaking out and being like this was horrible and we were very young yeah um yeah. and Britney Spears would have been very young at this point and she had been obviously like so we did the direct thing about Britney and Christina Aguilera okay, because yeah. the lyrics are remind me of the lyrics again because it is, oh. does refer to a she a lot um, she never was and never will be have you no shame don't you see me you know you've got everybody fooled oh so the she is the Britney mm. and the Christina's well because and the video is like Amy being positioned as yeah. one of those kinds of people and she's blonde. Yeah. Which yeah. we all know means fake. Uh, uh, <laughs> even though I think Amy might actually drag. be a blonde. <laughs> yeah. She should look great. Yeah, it's it's like it's the thing of it's very um I think there was quite a bit of this of like showing showing the fans what the industry is making me do yeah. via this this art piece that is also a product of the industry, which is the yeah. music video. <laughs> Oh, and like it's like it's like the Don't Speak video with Gwen Stefani, and like that feeling, like this behind the scenes look at like the way Gwen is being positioned as not being a member of a band, but the front person of an other thing, you know. Yeah. 
and um, the thing where they, they zero in on her in the photographs. I don't and know stuff. the video. Do you, what is know. wrong with I you? Know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know music videos. That is mad. That's I cannot huge... stress how oblivious I was as a teenager enough. No, but it's just, I, I, I'm amazed. I'm like, I'm impressed that you got away from it. <laughs> um, but there was a little bit of it. Anyway, so like, yeah, but you saw this video. You saw Nobody's Fool video. Oh, yeah, because YouTube was was going at this point. Yes, yes. And this it was like her posing as like a suburban mom, her posing as like a kind of a cool rocker chick. <laughs> On her a motorbike po- with all the guys in the band nodding at her. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, there was like this all this kind of like o- opening bit where they're like, "There's nothing better than a good lie," and then she's yeah. like promoting a brand of pizza called Lie. <laughs> Everything's called Lies. And Soft drink build- is called Lies. And then she smashes the mirror because she doesn't like what she's become. Uh, <laughs> oh. But that was like for me. I was like, "This is the this is the deep cut," <laughs> because it's the third single on an enormous album. Yeah, I know. And I remember my sister who's seven years younger than me so she would have been like six or seven six five or six turning to me and going avril lavigne is everybody's fool because this was when the also when the girlfriend video came out which i do remember and avril that made me so mad it made me so angry judas (laughs) i couldn't believe it it was so why was i so mad because there just weren't very many versions of being a woman that were presented to us. And it was really refreshing when you saw something very slightly different. I mean, still within like, yeah, you know, white, skinny, like usually blonde woman, but she's like, she's wearing baggy jeans. And then to see that go, like, it, and obviously like now we kind of go, well, you know, like, there's a, there's a whole conversation about like slut shaming and people like embracing, mm. you know, a sort of a version of their sexuality and like it's fine to mature and want to kind of present yourself in a different way. But it did feel like a little bit crushing if it you did. didn't want to do that. And also like if you didn't feel capable of doing that, like I was just like a really tall girl with thighs. And <laughs> so I was like, I can't possibly, you know, I can't do the like, Britney size zero thing it's not gonna work and Amy was attainable yeah and actually like Avril's look was attainable and then to like have that be abandoned and for her to go blonde like I still haven't truly forgiven her going back to Evanescence like to see that like critiqued even in like a very basic way did feel refreshing um and it was also like it was after Ben had left the band, mm-hmm. which we can also talk about. Yes. What are you? Okay. Finish this, and then we'll go back to Ben. Um. But and like they were like doing a thing for the first time without Ben, and it was this critique of like the industry and what it does to women. Mm. And yeah, it did. It was really exciting. So why did Ben leave then? Ooh. Do we know officially why? Um. They said creative differences. Uh huh. Um. From what I can work out, he had like a bit of a tantrum which they had like they had both like had a fallings out and I think they'd been in a relationship and so you know as late teens and so they both like had left oh, the they'd band. been in a romantic relationship yeah I think so oh wow um and you know I think stayed friends and everything but I think they kind of periodically fell out and they were on tour in Europe and he flew home and um I think he kind of thought that they would go that he would go back and from what I can work out, 
you know, <laughs> from the literature, Amy kind of said, you know, no, like you've you've, you've had your chance. And wow. Um, but then, do, I mean, do you know what he went on and did next? Yes, I do. <laughs> what was the band called? We Are the Fallen. Which was the name of the album we are discussing. Uh, do you think they were doing something there? <laughs> because, yeah, so Ben left and then like a few years later, two of the guys in the band left and they formed a band with Ben, ben called We Are The Fallen with like a woman as the <gasps> at the front who looked a lot like Amy Lee okay. and had a similar, I mean, I don't, I, you know, obviously out of principle, I did not listen to them. No. Um, but I, yeah. And it, it what, looking back at it now, it reminds me like a little bit of like Prince Harry being like, mm. I, I'm now going to make a career out of talking about the thing that I've left. But Ben Moody went on to work if with... That, I don't know, like, if that's what be doing a Prince Harry is going to be, I think that's very funny. <laughs> like, I'm going to make a career out of the thing that I've left. <laughs> I love that. You know, you may as well cash in. Um, but, um, yeah, Ben Moody went on to work with quite a lot of people. And I think he probably... I think he probably was the ingredient that made things more com- like more commercial and more radio-friendly. Mm-hmm. Because their later stuff... I mean, I I, listen, I I know their second album really well and I don't really know the latest stuff because, mm-hmm. you know, I moved on and became deeply ashamed of myself for ever having liked this thing. But um, it's it's not, it didn't have those hooks. Like, it didn't have that kind of, like, big, like, radio potential that mm-hmm. so many of the, of the tracks on Fallen had. Um, and, yeah, so because there, there were three of them for a while. There was Amy and Ben, but there was also David Hodges. Oh, auxiliary members this is of the all band like, who then went on to work with Kelly Clarkson oh like that kind of whole era of Kelly Clarkson and she wrote I think since she wrote since you've been gone you've been gone about because they were in a relationship <gasps> I know this is all great isn't it this is great oh did we we didn't talk about the greatest piece of trivia about Bring Me to Life tell me oh so she wrote it about a friend of a friend who she was sitting in a cafe with him and like everyone else was like parking the car or something and he he like they barely knew each other and he said to her are you happy and she was like no i'm not happy and went away and wrote bring me to life and then later they like met up again and now they're married no yes oh my god like well after bring me to life had been this like global phenomenon that's the greatest Caroline's piece of face. trivia I've ever heard. It's so good. So what, like years and years later? Like, I mean, like it seemed like years and years later when you heard about, but like a few years later, that he was like lush. a friend of a friend, and yeah, she had like a little bit of a crush on him, but there was nothing there, and she was like with other people, and you know, but he like looked into her eyes and like asked her if she was happy, which I assume like a lot of these like guys who were focused on their art yeah, probably yeah. weren't doing <laughs> I think it was like after they just got the record deal or something or like started to be investigated by the label like be the you know become a bit of a thing in Little yeah. Rock and he had said are you happy that's so like something very manic pixie dream boy about that isn't there just, just a random guy who just sees the core of you <laughs> over a casual coffee yeah but then and also then you write <laughs> You read into it so much and you're like, this person is going to save me. Oh, and he... Then she saved herself. Then she saved herself. <laughs> and had him as yeah. a bonus, which yeah. is my favourite kind of story. Yeah. But that is a sidetrack. But like, I was like, 
the list the people need to know this yeah i'm so glad i know that now i'm so, i can't wait to say that every single time that song comes on somewhere um i know we haven't really been talking track by track but no. reasonably speaking i i love this album i loved this album and getting back into it this week has been a delight to me however many of the songs do sound the exact fucking same oh yes <laughs> Right. It, it, it's an album that makes me want to play Guitar Hero, you know? It makes me want to like, jam down the little plastic thing as the thing comes up. Yeah. You know, it's that. It's a lot of distortion. It's beautiful. So I think going through track by track possibly isn't that useful, but I think we can't move on without talking about My Immortal, no, the track. We must talk about My Immortal. I feel like for so long, this was like, because this was also the era of televised singing competitions. <laughs> Yes. And they, whenever they wanted to sort of like highlight a different girl, she would be singing My Immortal in her audition show. <laughs> she's got range. She's got range. Oh, she's like Simon Cowell being obsessed with someone being a bit edgy and a bit out there because they have like brown hair uh, and black the edgy song. Yeah. <laughs> this is a young woman with some feelings. Right yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, My Immortal. I like, I think My Immortal in, on that like memorable first listening was the song that I was like oh I am deeply in love and I know the video mm. of that very well oh, because yes. that was the one that I would watch over and over on YouTube um yeah it is a beautiful song and Ben wrote it when he was 15 I yeah I saw that that they, their first recording of that song was on their first demo which was in 1997 mm. yeah well I've heard that demo it's not very good <laughs> um yeah it's it's a banger. My Immortal is a beautiful song. I see it as being a kind of, um, not in conversation with, but in the same file in my head as Christina Aguilera's Beautiful. Yeah. Or like every time, this kind of, even by Britney Spears, this sort of like moment of like, sort of quiet feeling ballads that yeah. were not really about someone, but about the self. Yes. And, and just the sense of something like lingering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not being able to to shake it off um which again like when you're sort of feeling sadness for the first time even if it's not over something specific you you're just like well why why can't i get rid of this because i don't actually want to feel like this Mm. and it expresses that to such a like insane degree like it, it is so overblown and like what is also interesting, like we were talking about the, the Bring Me to Life thing and like how she wasn't with the band and Ben was with the band and he's the one playing the piano. And she's mm. like the muse in the video. Mm. Like she's like the ghost, like playing yeah. on a fountain in Italy, <laughs> and like lying on a roof. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like again, she doesn't get to kind of like take centre stage and like own the feeling. Yes. She's like, almost like the person that the song's about rather than the person speaking. Which maybe she was because like maybe Ben like Ben wrote it maybe he wrote about her maybe he wrote who knows no. I mean if you were Ben Moody and you were like in a band with Amy Lee you'd have been probably quite in love with her how could you not be yeah, I'm how? quite in love with her like to be like so beautiful and so self possessed yeah. a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I remember like when we spoke about a minute ago about the sort of Avril Lavigne going blonde moment and how that felt like a betrayal. I felt like because this album was so... You forget that back then the longevity that albums had, mm. that they would be released and there'd be probably four singles off them that yeah. would be spaced out over maybe a year and a yeah. half. And then the, the the album would just be everywhere. Radio play go on forever. Like the album would then go into like the two for 12 and HMV or whatever. And just like... They'd be, and because there was quite a distance between their first and second album probably because they toured it so much yeah um i think it was like 2003 and 2006 so three years yeah probably a normal amount of time but it felt like a long time but yeah if you are marketing to teenagers yeah is an enormous amount of time it's half an adolescence yeah you know yes (laughs) that's them going from being in that phase to not yeah yeah and it's interesting when you look at those um tour videos which, I mean, those show. I, you have to talk about the show that you went to. They looked fucking epic. They looked incredible. But it's so many young, young girls. Yeah. Um, and I I can't remember the point I was making originally. But, oh, sorry. My Immortal. I remember feeling like that was almost her Avril going blonde moment. Oh, really? Because she looked so presented in it. or the, I yes. mean, and Sort of the gauziness and the musiness and the softness of the song. I th- and the way that it was becoming like... I felt like that was even more mainstream than Bring Me to Life, which was already huge. I felt like that was like middle of the day yeah. radio, My Immortal. Yeah. And like, like your mum would be singing along to it kind of thing. And I remember my mum yeah. playing it and thinking like, oh, this is very personal to me. And my mum being like, oh, I think we do our cool down in body balance to this. <laughs> our cool down in body balance! <laughs> and just being devastated because I was like, No! It's mine. It's mine. Exactly. I, it was that moment where it happens to every teenager of like, the thing that was mine is now everybody's and it now yeah. belongs to old people and I don't want it anymore. Which it already was. It already, exactly. It already was. And it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have found me if it hadn't been a level of mainstream because it was just like, I would never have like organically by myself found a band in, from no. Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah. Like, of course it was massively mainstream and that, is because it has mainstream appeal. Um, but it, I mean, it's a song now that like I would listen to on the night bus after a few, you know, <laughs> I'm just like, Oh, I remember the past. I remember the, I remember taking the bus. Yeah. Taking the bus is an emotional thing for anyone. Yeah. I think but if you just press your head against the, the, <gasps> the glass. <laughs> so yeah, I, I am so moved by it now, but I remember being very betrayed by it at that time. Oh, that's, so interesting yeah like i i loved it I so really tell me about it. the show oh so it was my yeah it was my 14th birthday present um, a whole year has passed i know since a you've... whole year in which to be clear caroline i was i was a moderator on an evanescence forum oh my god jessica i loved it so, I loved it so much a mo- how do you get to be a moderator oh you just you know you put the work in I had 11,000 posts on a songwriting forum and I was always waiting for the call-up to be moderator. 
Never happened. I mean, what I think happened was like the people who were the mods aged out of being interested in doing something like that, and they were just like, "Here you go." Um, but I, remember, I was so That's proud. That's serious business. I know, and like in that time also, so John and Rocky had left the band to go and join We Are the Fallen. I remember where I was when I found out because one of my friends from the forum had texted me. <gasps> Oh, like God! For, I didn't realize you were also a forum kid. Of course, I, was a I never get to kid. talk to anyone about being a forum kid. It was such—it's such a specific thing. It was like it was like pre-live journal. Like yeah. it was pre-like it was pre—it was around MySpace time, wasn't it? It was Except, well before Facebook. It just occurred to me if that you're Gen Z, you may not even know what a forum okay, is. Okay, tell the children, Caroline. I, I'm trying to think. I, okay. So a forum would be almost like a Discord or something yeah. where a band or a thing or whatever would have a website and within that website there would be a discussion forum where you could sort of leave posts being like, oh, just heard that Ben Moody is touring with his new act or whatever. <laughs> and then you would discuss. And sometimes it could be directly related to the thing. And sometimes it would be just random. You were allowed to go off topic. There was a section. There's every every special forum has an off topic for sort of like oh yeah, and, and some of the off topics are segmented into like general discussion, fun links, music, yeah. or whatever. We had something called the everlasting rant thread where you could just go and complain about your day, and people would give you tea and sympathy. It was beautiful. Oh my God. Sending you hugs. Yeah. Ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> have a have a cookie. Have a cookie, and it's like all the sort of like dashes and things yes. to shape the cookie. Yes. Oh my God. And you would put so much effort into like your avatar and you'd have a banner with your name yes there were so many ways to customize how yeah. you appeared but but crucially you never your actual face so it would no. be like this collection of sort of things that you liked to create an identity and um oh god this is really oh <laughs> but i think crucially i mean i think anyone listening to be like yeah like any kind of that doesn't sound very different to any social media form, but like the what was different, I think, about forums is that like they were so clannish. Yeah. And generally, I would say the average forum had about thirty frequent users at any yeah. given time. And you kind of knew of an evening when people were going to drop in. Yeah, exactly. And you would see who was live down the bottom of the thing, um, down the bottom of the screen or whatever, and and like. If if new people tried to join because they were mm. passingly interested, they would absolutely get flamed out of it. It was like being if you're if you were spending all day in your secondary school hating everything and having yeah. no click and just having maybe your one weird best friend and like your disc man and do it, just trying to get through it every day and 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 like dreaming of what an American high school might look like. Yes. Being on a forum almost felt like being on an American high school and you're in the popular crowd yeah. because you're self-selecting as a group. Yes. It was yeah. magic. You could be a real queen bee on this, like, absolutely tiny yeah, forum. Yeah, especially if, like, on the forum I was on, it was like, there weren't that many women on it. Because yeah. it was an offshoot of a guitar forum that I was... Yeah, yeah it, was like a section, yeah. it was a section within a section. Um, so there weren't that many women. So you could so chime in, like, speaking as a woman. <laughs> I think, like, it's the whole reason I write is because of forums. Because it was just, like, logging on every night to try and impress men in their 20s when I was, like, 15. Yeah, that was the other bit of it that was odd, was, like, the men who were on those forums. Like, because it was yeah. teenage girls and then men in their late teens and early 20s. Yeah. Which is very odd. And I had, so, I had like, male correspondence with some of them. As in M-A-I-L. <laughs> Not like male yeah. cars. Yeah. yeah, like we send postcards to each other. There was like um, a mixtape chain letter where like we'd send each other burned CDs in the post where and you'd get your new... Did your parents know that you were like... No, and I went to yeah. Scotland to visit one of them. 
Oh my gosh. I, so how that, did, what was your cover story? How did you make that happen? It was so easy. I was like 17 at this point and I was just like, I had some money. So I just booked a flight to Glasgow to visit my like internet boyfriend, essentially. Um, and uh, I was like, oh yeah, he's my friend. Like, that's it. If you're quite a good girl, it's very easy to lie. <laughs> it is. If you haven't really caused much of a fuss no. up till that point, it's quite easy. And then I, and what what actually was nice was that his dad was the moderator on the forum. No. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Did you ever meet people who like loved the things that they loved and weren't ashamed and like spoke very openly about it? And you were just like, oh my god. Like, yeah. Yeah. So you're just you're just telling people that you like a thing rather than it being like your little shame yeah yeah and those people were like really revolutionary back then before we all you know got to our 30s and were able to sort of reclaim what it is that we like about ourselves kind of thing yeah people who were just like and again they'd be on these forums and be like you know what i think coldplay get too hard a time you know (laughs) yeah coldplay do get too hard a time well also like it was with evanescence because it felt like a girl like the girl enclave in a very male world and sometimes men would like chime in and like what the sort of default thing for a man to say about Evanescence is like Amy Lee's hot. And mm-hmm. that kind of made it okay to yeah. sing along to Bring Me to Life. Yeah. So like, oh yeah, no, I'm just lecturing on her in a corset, but yeah, like this is fine. And then there were like men or, or older boys who didn't need that layer of irony to be like, Oh, I just really like this thing that yeah. you also like and you're just like, Wow, male approval? Male, really? Yeah. Oh god. Well, that first moment when you get it. Oh. It, like, like you, you might get it for the first time when you're, like, 16 and you like the same band as, like, a boy who has, like, quote-unquote taste. Mm. And then you're, like, the feeling is so good. You're, like, I will deny all my instincts forever yeah. in order to keep this feeling. I'm, I'm just going to ride this way. <laughs> I'm going to ride this way. And that's, uh, that must be also going to a girls' school. Yeah. Because, like, my mum my always says, you know, I went to a mixed school, had a healthy contempt for boys of my own age. And yeah. you just don't develop that. A healthy contempt. That's so important. Yeah. Oh my god. No, I had zero contempt. Yeah. They were so they were so contemptible. To this day, like I cannot listen to Nick Drake because I spent so many years pretending to like that music. Oh no. And I and I'm sure it's nice and I know people like it, but I just remember sitting in so many rooms with sensitive boys being like Love this Nick Drake while we kiss kind of thing. And now when literally when it comes on my Spotify or like, I wish there was a way of telling Spotify when you cannot listen to, to music. I just want to vomit. I, I'm so sorry. I perpetuated the cycle because I think I introduced a sensitive boy to Nick Drake. And of course he really liked it because it was for him. It was for him. It was. Oh God, I feel very warm. <laughs> a lot of memories unearthed here. I haven't yeah. talked about forums or related subjects for some time. This was why, like, when we were when I, we said we were going to do this recording, I was like, "Yay! Oh God! Oh, shame! <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Oh yay! Oh no!" Um, uh, we should probably wrap up, but yeah. um, is there anything else we need to touch on? Because I'm aware this has been living in your soul it's, yeah, for twenty really years. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Like, I mean, yeah, the the touch points are obviously like bring me to life my immortal oh that gig at the hammersmith pull up all oh, i need yes, to say yes, yes, is that like she was really good like i was quite i was really concerned that it wasn't going to be very good yeah because when you're that age i was talking to my best friend about this and like 
how you feel about the things that you like that age. And I didn't care whether the things I liked were cool, but I so desperately wanted them to be good. Like, I wanted mm. to have mm. good taste. I didn't want it to be, like, manufactured or second rate. I wanted it to be, like, beyond argument, you know, good. And then, like, later, like, you know, got getting into, like, I don't know, Joni Mitchell or Leonard Cohen or something, and you're like, okay, this is on another level. This is, like, sublime. Um, and, you know, Evanescence, like, very good singer, but the lyrics are whatever, you know. Um but I felt so like relieved going to that gig and hearing her voice live and just being like, this is actually better than I thought it was going to be. Um, and my friends went with me and they weren't really into Evanescence, but we all went and we all had a great time and um, like talked about it a lot afterwards. And then I remember the show was written up in Kerrang! So there were all these pictures. Oh, wow. And like she was... <gasps> to like have been at an event yeah. that is then in a magazine... It was really cool. That's so cool. I, I would have felt too cool. I remember her like wearing like a black tank top and like a long pink skirt and she just looked exactly like you wanted her to look. Oh. I would pay thirty to thirty five pounds if they came round again to go. And, and you see know them. what? They will. They will. Because now they're part of this um and I think it's easy to be sort of snide in, and be like, oh, yeah, that band that had one album and then they kind of went away and wonder where those losers are now. You know what I mean? You kind of think that sometimes, like you're, when you're horrible lizard yeah. self. And then you look on, on your Spotify out of curiosity. It's like, oh, they had six albums, but like no one cares. You know, yeah. but it's like, no, lots of people really care. And they also tour as part of this thing, which I find very cool of like, there's um a lot of like emo festivals, metal festivals, a lot of like, bands that tour together from that era and they it's like all under names of like well when we were young or whatever it's like <laughs> it's like nostalgia acts but they're people in their 40s you know but you know if i had had like what she had had then i would have done what, like she had massive I'm, I'm saying she because every other band member has changed so it is yeah her. it is her like massive mainstream success and then she went away and did all sorts of weird shit like she wrote like stuff for movies. She learned to play the harp. Of course, she did. Oh. Um, like you know, made some quite odd stuff. Did get heavier. Like all the mm. people, you know, the the real metalheads were like, "Oh, Evanescence aren't heavy enough." Yeah, yeah she did get heavier. Um, you know, made records that like a handful of, well, not a handful, you know, probably many thousands or hundreds of thousands of people mm. liked. Um, and never have to wear again because they've sold 17 million copies of Fallen. They don't, yeah. need, they don't need success they don't, anymore. They don't need to prove anything to anybody. No. They can make exactly the kind of music they want to make. And I actually think that's a really... Because if you imagine what it would be like to be 2021 and to have reached a peak like mm. that, a lot of people would have really gone to pieces trying to yeah. recapture that. Yeah. And they were just like, no, no, cool. Now we get to make our weird harp album. I love her. Yeah. I love her. Especially when you think of like, you know, I'm thinking specifically of like Derek Ho from Sum 41 and like, yeah. there's been quite a lot of casualties yeah. from that. Yeah. A lot of addiction, a lot of like... Well, it's like footballers know? or something. Like people yeah. who, whose careers peak at an incredibly young age and like, yeah, you don't have that earning yeah. potential anymore. And also the the measures that you had for like assessing how well you were doing like album sales have gone because mm. people don't buy albums anymore 
And so, like, either you stay with the moment and like, reinvent yourself again and again, but that takes, like, a Beyonce. Yeah. Like, how many people can do that? Most people either would really struggle with that or arcane kind of have the self-preservation to be like, cool, I get to do what I want now. Or, like, even to, to you and I who aren't going to be, like, following... I don't know how much you follow, like, sort of metal or heavy or rock music now, but, like... We might turn on the new Evanescence album for forty-five seconds yeah. out of curiosity, yeah, and be like, "Oh, yes, more of the same." But like, yeah. actually, sounds like an Evanescence. Sounds album. like an Evanescence. But like, actually, you know, she is like burrowed down into her craft for yeah. a long, long time, and there's like, imagine layers and layers and layers of depth in that music that I just don't have the time as a thirty-two-year-old woman to get into. But I no. want other people to. <laughs> no, no. I mean, maybe one day there'll be like a week where I can just. You know, really get into the back catalogue. Probably not. Yeah, you know, there there are better things. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm, so, I'm so glad that we came here to yeah, honour this, this time. This was very valuable for me. <laughs> this was so valuable. I've loved this conversation, um, and I really, I would please open invitation to come back and talk about anything you want, anytime you Thank want. You. Um, which I don't say often to people I've just met. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, you've got a new book coming out. It's called Young Women. It is. Yeah. Well, the, so the paperback is out in July Mm -hmm. um, and it is about young women with big feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about two young women, one's called Emily and she kind of meets this incredibly like aspirational, charismatic young woman called Tamsin at a climate protest and Tamsin is an actress and she lives in Soho and she like never seems to work but has loads of money and she's mysterious and aspirational and they kind of have this whirlwind beautiful time together and then something happens and you'll have to read the book to find out what I can't wait to read the book to find out what this is great Jess this has been a pleasure thank you so much for coming in thank you so much for having me I hope Amy Lee listens (laughs) what's she got to do I love you Amy I love you Amy Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.